Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LeBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Hey, good day there, fellow humans. Mark LeBusque here for the Simply Practically Human podcast, the um, the Friday edition, short, sharp, self-indulgent solo podcast with a little bit of a uh, a bit of a twist again today. I uh, reached out to the world and just said, basically, this one is a bit of a Q&A. So just flick me some questions that you want some answers to on whatever topic you want. I'll give it my best shot. I'm also going to say this. It's not going to mean you're going to get the exact answer that you want. It's not going to mean that it is absolutely baked on in sort of theory and scientifically evidence-based information that I'll give back to you. Some of it will be. Some of it will be stuff that I've learned along the way and other bits will be my own lived experience. But So if that's a, a get-out-of-jail-free card for me as a disclaimer, well, you can take it that way. But I'll, um, I'll tell you what I think and uh, you can use it in any which way you'd like. I do plan to do a few more of these, so I will be reaching out at times on uh, Insta and LinkedIn and some other places to, to get you in the moment to think about something on your mind that you'd like to get some, some answers to. So let's start with number one today, which is a question from Peter. It's an interesting question, a question that I know I've uh, struggled with in the past and I know some of you would have well. Peter asked this question, how can you stop being the one that has to have all the answers? What a bloody great question, Peter. And um, I don't know that I'm going to absolutely nail it for you, but I will say this, that it's got to start with you looking at yourself and I guess asking yourself the question of why is it that you need to come up with all the answers. My gut feel on this one would be that, Peter, it's most likely what has continued to get you promoted, that you were good at coming up with the answers when you were in more of a technical role, not in a role that I'm assuming now is in a people management role. And because you were technically good at coming up with solutions and answers that you continue to get promoted, perhaps now in a management role of other people where there's a great need for you to stop coming up with all the answers, leave some space for others to come up with the answers so they can grow, they can learn, they can experiment, they can explore, they can develop without feeling like you are the smartest person in the room. So, There's a couple of things that I would suggest to you here that would be very, very helpful for you. The first one would be to give permission for those people who are reporting through to you to give you some feedback on whether or not you seem to be hogging all the limelight and coming up with all the answers, or even this one, asking them what they think, and they know full well you've already got the answer made up in your mind. So I think you need to be vulnerable and you need to be bold here. And you need to put it out there to your people to say, hey, tell me when I'm doing it well and I'm getting out of your way and I'm giving you space to come up with answers, but also let me know when I need to be mindful that I'm intruding, jumping in too early, going too solutions focused and perhaps jumping back into my old role, which is more about the technical stuff than what it is today, which is to create space for other people to come up with the answers themselves. I think it's brave for you to put this question out there, Peter. 
The other thing that comes to mind for me is to practice what I call the two A's, awareness and adjustment. So in that moment when you're about to come up with the answers again, just catch yourself in that moment before you do it. And even because you maybe you sound like you're not great at it, you might catch yourself while you're doing it or after you've done it, but catch yourself and in that moment, adjust. So be aware of what you're doing and then adjust in the moment. And then you might say something like this, well, what do you think? Or what would you do? Or if they are looking at you sometimes, and they will after a while because you've become someone who's so good at giving the answers, just say something like this to them that I used to do. What are you looking at me for? Do you think I've got all the answers? Well, I haven't. So, Peter, that's a great question. I hope that's helpful for you. I hope that's helpful for others who are caught in the game of maybe with not such good intention to be the smartest person in the room. That's not very smart, I don't think. Or maybe they just don't have the awareness that you need to build through the two A. So, Peter, thanks for kicking us off here. So the next one. Sophie's asked me a question about personality tests and how can you use personality tests to predict team dynamics? So I'm not a big fan of the tests. I'm not a big fan of the psychometric profiling of the, of the team tests and those sorts of things. I know there are some good ones out there, no doubt. So there are some great, great tools out there. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni is one that comes to mind that I have had some experience with and I think it's it's a good one. But So that's something you might look at, Sophie, Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team. But I want to just, before you go straight to buying something off the shelf, perhaps some other advice for you that you can think about before you get there. Maybe some conversations with your team. Maybe creating the space where the team feels safe enough to talk a little bit about what are the dynamics. It can go a few ways. One of the things I do when I work with teams is I... I explain to them, I see six different types of teams um, from the, the lowest of low through to the highest of high. And let me start at the low. It's a dysfunctional team. The next one is what I call a surviving team. The next one is what I call a functional team. But I'm going to say to that, functional in the way that they work in their function or their silo. So perhaps think of that as a silo team. The next one up the ladder we're getting towards the above the line stuff is what I call a present team, a team that looks in the moment at what's going on with what they're doing and how that impacts on other parts of the business as well. The next one is a connected team. And the final one is a united team. So having some conversations about where the team think they are before you go into a into some sort of personality testing might be a a good place to start. The other thing that's worth doing is getting people to talk about what I call their stop and go stories in the team. So one of the things this will do is start to help elevate the understanding at an individual level of some of the self-limiting beliefs that each person is carrying. And remember, I said this, this will be up to you Sophie, to be able to create that safe space to do so. It would also always help if you go first to share your self-limiting belief, maybe a, a thing that holds you back so people can understand you more. And then the second part of that is to share your go story, which is more about what you're great at, what you're known for, what's unique or unusual about you that that if you think about it as a team, we're not all the same. We are unique and we are different and we bring some different things along is that 
then starting to think about if you really want to improve those team dynamics, you start to leverage off the uniqueness, off the unusualness, and off the greatness of each person. See, I think one of the challenges we have at times, Sophie, is we try to get everyone to get to average or there's a certain level of skill that we need. And I think what we're missing out on there is creating that open forum, that open dialogue where people can can have these conversations about what holds them back and what propels them forward in order to start to improve the dynamics in the group. There's another little activity that you might like to do, and I'm just going to try and explain this the best I can without a diagram, but just my voice, so uh, bear with me. There's a great leadership coach, actually a great man in the leadership space. His name is Andrew O'Keefe, and he's based up in New South Wales. And I met Andrew many, many years ago, about 11 or 12 years ago. He's written a couple of great books, one called The Boss, one called Hardwired Humans, and that was the one that really impacted on me. And Andrew has this little activity that I've used at times where he gets you to draw a circle and write the initials of each of the team members around the circle and then go through an activity where you start to look at what their social capital or their social connectedness is, which absolutely impacts upon team dynamics. And the way that works is if there's a high trust relationship where people are talking about work and non-work-related things and they spend time together doing that, what you would do is you would draw a thick line from one person in that circle, the initials on the outside, to the other person in another part of that initials on the outside of the circle, and that signifies a, a good, strong relationship. If they've got a dotted line, what that means is that they're usually their conversations are about work-related situations. So it's a very transactional relationship. And you can start to do that as well. So for yourself, you do this for yourself first, is you look at yourself and you look at your team members and you go, okay, who have I got that dotted line to? Who am I really only speaking to when it's about the work things? Like, hey, have you got that report done? Hey, how's the roster going? Whatever it might be, there'll be nothing in there about how was your weekend? How are the kids? How are your pets? Are you getting some good life design into your life now? What are you doing to get balance? It'll be strictly about the work stuff. So again, you'll have a look around the circle at your team members and you'll do the dotted lines if there's not really that sort of level of having conversations about everything. And then the last one is where there's no line. And look, that can happen because there could be new people in your organisation. It can also happen because you might say, we've got nothing in common. I, I work in a certain part of the organisation. They work in another and we really don't need to interact. And then the last one is it's pure avoidance, that you just don't want to have a chat to them. You don't want to bump into them. You'd rather do anything else. You'd rather, you know, it's that awkward moment where you bump into them in the hallway or in the shop and you just want to be anywhere else but there. So once you get everybody to do that, What's a good thing to do is to set some goals for each person or they can set their goals about who do you need to turn from a no line to a dotted line or a thick line or a dotted line into a thick line. And what you'll notice is that the team dynamics, just through putting some awareness around that and practicing the behaviors and turning it into a habit is that the team dynamics can change. So, I guess my advice is be careful about going straight to a personality test that you can then use to, I guess, justify what's going on because humans are humans and whilst 
the personality test can be useful. It can also be dangerous that we start to put people into pigeonholes and we put them into boxes and we don't give them the chance to learn, grow and develop. So Sophie, I hope that's useful for you. The next one is from Joss. And uh, this one's interesting because Joss has asked me this question, how can I articulate outcomes to management teams that have a one-track mind? And I guess my assumption here is that there must be some sort of disconnection going on here between the way Joss is thinking and perhaps the way that the people that she is working with at her level or perhaps above her level are engaging. And it sounds like there's a bit of a disconnect between, I guess, the values, perhaps the approach, the program of work and all those sorts of things. So the first thing you've got to do is, I think, Joss, is to have a bit of a think about what's your part in why you are in such a situation. So what are you bringing to that situation that's not allowing it to work? It could be that as soon as you hear the person's name or the people that you're working with, that that can trigger a negative response. So that starts you in a, in a poor place to start. So I think from that situation, it'd be good for you to have a little think about how am I turning up to any interaction with, with this group or with that person or whatever it may be, and how is that not serving me well? Because I think it's always got to start with you looking at your part in the problem. Now, from there... I think the opportunity is to, and I'm going to take this quote from a lovely young lady I met who said to me at one stage, you need to get curious and not furious. So I think what could work here, Joss, is some curiosity. And when you're finding yourself at loggerheads with somebody or you're just not getting your message through, articulating the outcomes as you're wanting to be articulated, feeling like you're not heard, is just start to get curious and ask some questions. And if there's a particular position where you're not getting through, just say something like, hey, I'm just curious to know more about your position on this. And then shut up and leave some space for them to step in. You might even use, hey, I wonder, rather than I don't think that's right or you're wrong or or you say nothing and you get frustrated, you might go with what – hey, I I wonder why you're thinking that that's the position that we should take, given some of the other things that we're trying to achieve. So I think one way to deal with this one, and at times it can be a challenging one to do because it may be risky, but leadership is risky. And your opportunity to demonstrate leadership here comes from your ability and willingness to ask the question, be curious. If you don't feel safe enough to do that, you may even need to have that conversation as well. It's no point in not saying anything and assuming that someone will work it out. I've said this before, no one has a crystal ball or is a mind reader that I know. I've not come across any in in my 30 odd years, like proper ones. I've seen a few snake oil salesmen that, that purport to be able to do that. But on this one here, you've got to stay consistent with your message. You've got to hold your nerve with your message You've got to show some resilience and not give up. But most of all is get curious and not furious. So I think that's a place to be. Now, if it gets to the point where you don't feel like you're getting through, I guess another way to go with that is to escalate that. But that, again, give people the opportunity. If you've given them enough opportunities, well, 
you may need to say that, hey, I'm not, we're not really getting to where we need to. I think we need to bring some other people in to have this conversation. So I hope that's helpful for you, Josh. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be easy work to do. The easy thing to do is to avoid it. So just make sure you're not avoiding those conversations, but also at the same time, not going into them in a furious way. Now, I got another question from Sophie. Sophie had two questions for me, which I think what I understand shows how interested she is at dealing with some people or human-related issues. And this question was about how do you deal with a generation that is always searching for bigger and better? Really, really interesting question because I think that most generations are searching for bigger and better human beings just by our nature to achieve and to reach goals and to put ourselves into uncomfortable situations. We're always looking, or most of us anyway, for the bigger and the better, whatever that may be. I think the big thing that comes around this one, something to think about here, Sophie, is the word intention comes to mind for me. So the idea of what's the intention behind searching for bigger and better? And then the other question is, what is bigger and better? Because bigger and better can be different for every human being. It could be a bigger office. It could be better job prospects, better development prospects. It could be a whole lot of things. So I think one of the one of the first things is to understand and have conversations with people who are searching for bigger and better is what is bigger and better or what does bigger and better mean to you? So I think getting really clear on that because sometimes, and I know I do it too, we can show the bias around particular, let's call demographics, Gen Xs, Gen Ys, Millennials, Gen Zs, whatever we want to call them. And, you know, there's a lot of talk today that particularly the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs, Millennials, these types are, are wanting to move forward much more quickly than perhaps I was given the chance to in, in my career. And there's a bit of resistance that comes from the people who maybe are in the late 40s into the 50s and, and whatnot, which is I am mid-50, that like they should wait their turn for bigger and better because we had to. But the world is changing. But I think the starting place here is getting underneath the intention of the conversation, getting underneath the intention of the person who's looking for bigger and better and having some conversations with them. And those conversations can be, and I think they should happen more than they do today, they can be career conversations. Having proper career conversations with people rather than just what would you like to do next and you sort of capture it and you don't go back to it for 12 months is continue to have those conversations. And I say at least once every three months, get that person who is looking for bigger and better to realize that they have to do the work. If they're searching for bigger and better, it's not going to mysteriously land on their plate for them, delivered up by you in some sort of amazing sort of service that says, oh, look, I've just fallen on my feet again. Let them know that they have a big part to play in whatever bigger and better is. In fact, they need to be serious about doing the work. Now, one of the ways to do that is to use what I call the POC approach, which is what's their passion? What are their opportunities in regards to getting to that passion? And then what are their capabilities or what are their current human and technical skills that they have that can help them to get there and where do they need to develop? So I think these conversations at a, let's call it at a human level, but also 
at more of a formal level, putting some sort of formalized structure in can really help them. And I guess the one I'd finish with here is that if you can establish that what bigger and better means for them is not going to be achievable working with you, I think you need to be really open and honest and tell them that, hey, that might be somewhere else. How can I help you to get there? Because I don't think it's going to happen here. Too many times we hang on to people and say, yeah, you'll be next in line when I'm not here or the next opportunity that opens up and it doesn't happen that way and we create some sort of friction that goes on there. So my suggestion would be is that be really honest and if their bigger and better isn't aligned with what you think that you can offer them from a bigger and better perspective, you might need to set them free. Okay, the last one is from Michael. And this one, I think, is one of the great leadership challenges that that I'm hearing a lot today. And it's on the concept of letting go. So Michael says, I'm finding it hard to let go and keep getting involved in the detail. Now, how do I stop doing this? So you know what? It's not not a lot different to Peter's question is that what you've got to ask yourself, Michael, is why do you keep getting involved? Why do you find it hard to let go? And there can be a few stories that come up here for you, and this will be one of them. And I'm sure you've said this before, and I'm sure many of you listening have said this before. So really listen to this one. People tell me they find it hard to let go. Now, whether that's when they're in the workplace or when they're out on leave or whatever it might be, they might be at an offsite or in a program. You know, they just they just want to continue to be across what's going on because they say, I'm really worried if I'm not there, something goes wrong. And you know what? There's there's something in that because we fear loss more than we value gain as human beings. We fear the loss of what if something's wrong and I'm not there and I can't sort of save the day and I might look like a bit of a dick. But I want you to consider this, Michael. Have you ever thought this? What if I'm not there and everything goes right? So think about that again. What if I'm not there and everything goes right? What's the reaction you have to that? Now, you might say in a sort of superficial way, that's great because it means that the people are doing their job. But if you dig a bit deeper into our human condition, you might also start to think about, well, shit, what if I'm not there and it goes right? and I'm no longer needed. So I think part of the reason that we find it hard to let go and get involved in the detail is because we want to feel relevant. We want to feel like we're contributing. We want to feel like we're safe. We want to feel like we're not going to be the next one to get that call. We know there's been, those calls seem to be heightening again now, like we're going to have to let you go. So one way for me to make myself feel safe is I'll get involved in everything I can. I'll go on every project that I can get myself on. I'll go to every meeting I've been invited to, even though it means I've got back-to-back meetings and I'm missing out on doing the work that's really important at the time. So I think there's something here for you, Michael, to look a bit into your mirror and go and have a good hard look into that and say, perhaps, perhaps it's something about me that I have a fear that if I'm not across everything or involved in everything, that... I'll become redundant in some way or another. And when I do have conversations with people about this and we start to dig into the fears they have, that is a big fear that comes up. So you're human too, Michael. I'm sure you go through the same thing. So there you go, folks. There are five questions that were thrown at me today. I am going to keep doing these. Not every week in my solo podcast, but every few weeks I'll call out for some questions. If you have one on leadership, has been bugging you a bit, has been testing you, pissing you off, whatever you want to call it, 
or just one there that perhaps your group's been talking about, the team that you're in. Throw it out there because you never know. Um, I'm not saying that I'm an expert on this stuff. As I said, it's not all about the theories and whatnot. It's not all about the lived experience. It might be a combination of both. It might be some of the things I've come across in 25 years, but I'll, I'll tell you what I think is the best way to approach it. Some of what you hear from me might sting you a bit. Some of what you hear from me might blow a bit of smoke up your ass or somewhere in between, but I hope that it's useful for you and I hope that you get something out of it. Hey, if you love this one, a little bit different, why not rate it five stars and let us know why in a little comment about why you loved it. And if you liked it and you think there's some others who have been thinking about these questions and haven't been able to come up with the answers that could find this useful for them, well, please share it with them. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.